Hello, and welcome to the Development Debrief with Katherine Van Zippel, the stories-based podcast that interviews professionals, donors, and thought leaders in the field of fundraising. This week, I talk with Sarah Crazen, Executive Vice President at CCS Fundraising, about her career journey. She made a big move right before the pandemic and found herself in a new city across the country, leading a team of people, many of whom she had never met in person. Sarah describes fundraising as a contact sport, and she explains how she was able to make contact virtually. She tells us how she built culture and led a new team in the past two years of incredible change. Since joining CCS in 2012, Sarah's client engagements have spanned all major nonprofit sectors and included campaign planning studies, major gift program development, interim development management, and capital campaign management. She has specific expertise in designing and managing national comprehensive major gift campaigns, particularly for institutions with nascent or startup programs. In 2019, Sarah joined the CCS Boston Executive Leadership Team and now leads engagements for many of the firm's New England-based clients. Sarah is also the co-founder of CCS Elevate, the firm's thought leadership initiative designed to apply CCS best practices to the next big questions in philanthropy. Prior to joining CCS, Sarah managed and consulted for more than 20 political fundraising programs in the Midwest and Southern California. During her time in politics, Sarah coached candidates for local, state, and federal offices on effective fundraising strategies that allowed them to outraise incumbents and win highly contested seats. Let's get started. Sarah Crazen, welcome to The Debrief. Thanks, Catherine. So great to be here. So we're here today to talk about new leadership. You have taken on a a very big position during a very stressful time, and we want to break it down with you a little. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to do that. I'll I'll try to impart some clarity on the reflection of the past two years, though it's been a bit of a whirlwind. (laughs) So we'll we'll a winding road, if you will. Yeah, exactly. But hopefully, there are a few nuggets we can pull out together. Great. So you made a career move to lead the New England CCS office, and you made this decision right on the heels of the pandemic, right at the end of 2019. This was very bold. You moved, your husband moved with you to follow your career. What was it like making that risk, not even knowing what was coming your way (laughs) with everything else? Let's start with the beginning. Yeah, exactly. So a little bit of background for your audience if they're not familiar with CCS fundraising. So we are a global fundraising services firm. Our specialty is campaign planning and management. And we have offices all over the United States, as well as a few offices in Europe. And I've been with the firm about 10 years. So I've in that time in my 10 years at CCS managed capital campaigns in all sectors all over the country. And at the time when this transition opportunity was presented to me, I was living very happily in California. So mm-hmm. just from that for just a moment, you, know, you kind of joked, I didn't even know what was ahead of me in 2020. And yeah. if I had a crystal ball about 2020, you and I would be sitting here having <laughs> this conversation right now. But regardless, I did, you're right, I did move to Boston at the end of 2019 with this exciting opportunity that CCS has had presented to me to manage our New England office, which was pre- preparing for a leadership transition. And then of course, I promptly, after making the big move, spent 18 months working through that transition from my dining room table, like we all did, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of what role we were in. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as I mentioned, I was living in California in 2019, very, very happily. I'd been managing campaigns out of our CCS San Francisco office. And the managing director that I was working for at the time, Rick Happy, took me out for a sandwich, shared that the firm had begun succession planning for our New England office and broached the idea of me taking on that leadership role. And it's funny because often when I'm interviewing someone for a role at CCS, I'll often say that the reward for a job well done at CCS is a more interesting and challenging project the next Mm -hmm. time. That's why I've stayed at the firm for so long. I think that's why a lot of people stay. It's a place where you can really have just incredible career growth in a short period of time. And here was this moment for me, which absolutely epitomized that. So it was an exciting moment for me personally, uh, but when I reflect on that moment in hindsight, just you know, a closing before we move on to the rest of the discussion today, the lesson that really sticks out for me from that moment is just the power of sponsorship. And mm. so I felt like that moment that Rick and I were having the sandwich and all the moments that followed, Rick and later a lot of other leaders at the firm and other executives I was joining in Boston, never once gave me the sense that they were questioning or second guessing my ability to take this on. And trust me, we'll talk about this later. I was doing plenty of second guessing myself about Mm -hmm. me, if I was capable, if I was ready for this. And so I remind myself of that a lot, actually, just the real power of conveying just your full and complete confidence to someone that you're asking to take on a stretch assignment in any capacity. It's Mm -hmm powerful. And frankly, you should have full and complete confidence in someone's abilities before you ask them to take on a growth role. It's just otherwise unfair to everyone. So that's my takeaway from that sandwich moment. I think actually Rick was eating a pizza. If I'm not it. <laughs> sure, you're sitting down with Rick, you're having your sandwich. What was your gut reaction to this idea? What was like your first gut thought? Disbelief followed by excitement, followed by that you know, rapid moment of and many moments that followed of second guessing. Okay. And so I think again, just that power of having someone really in your corner, or in my case, a group of colleagues who again, never once doubted me, always offered their support, always had a helping hand available. And I think that just culturally at CCS is something I've always appreciated about our firm. It is a collaborative place, a helpful place. And I could not have done this certainly without those moments of you know, boosts of confidence mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, we all try to return the favor to each other. I think so many people can relate to that feeling of dissonance between excitement and fear or excitement and doubt. I think especially as women leaders, that is a common clash as we move forward. So you took this on, you moved, the pandemic hit. What has it been like being a new leader? I know there was really thoughtful succession planning and that we want to hear about that, but how have you handled being a new leader during this particular time? First, I have to say I benefit tremendously from a fantastic executive coach and amazingly kind and collaborative colleagues within Mm -hmm. CCS. So just the longer I manage people and as the challenges of that our clients face get more and more complex in a rapidly changing landscape around philanthropy, yeah, I realize that this job in particular, managing a team within CCS, within this nonprofit sector, if this is a job that is about putting in your reps and not just once, but over and over again, 
And when you're doing that type of work, it's really helpful if you have an outside voice gently letting you know if maybe your form is off every now and then, or maybe a more appropriate analogy for me, Catherine, because anyone who knows me in real life is just dying of laughter right now that I'm using a sports analogy of any type <laughs> would be music. So I'm a flute player and I know- Ooh, I love that. I'm a better player in every single way when I prioritize playing with my group, taking lessons, rather than just doing it on my own. And I think anyone who's really benefited from good coaching or, or good teaching can certainly relate to that. So when I talk to people about taking on expanded leadership roles, that's always one of my first pieces of advice. You'll find a coach, someone you can really talk to in a safe space about the challenges you're facing and get your form corrected every now and again. Very little people talk about their what if they have that team of support. And so did you seek that out on your own or did CCS broker that deal of helping you find an executive coach? How did that work? My executive coach, Christian Talbot, is somebody that CCS has worked with in the past. So we've had a relationship with Christian for a couple of years. He took on a new adventure himself during the pandemic. Um, so I'm continuing to work with him one-on-one, -on -one, which CCS is supporting for me. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. Without that investment, this job would be a lot harder. Again, as I mentioned, you know, my colleagues within CCS, a lot of them function as that coach at times, but it is really helpful to have somebody who understands the nuances of our business. Mm -hmm. So is an external voice, can provide a different perspective, can help me see things differently in a way that my closest colleagues sometimes can't because we're all in the day-to-day -to -day together. And as we all know, it's a people business, so yeah. it's always changing. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. at one point when we talked, you had said you were grateful for this disruption. Tell me what you meant by that. I think I have an idea, but let's talk about what you meant by that and what opportunities were created from the disruption. The events of the past 18 months have by and large for all of us, they've been horrific, mentally taxing, really challenging in so many ways. So, you know, so many people lost their lives. There was this tremendous period of economic uncertainty, followed by this great entrenching of income inequality. We witnessed all this continued violence against our communities of color. And I don't mean to minimize that at all, but I do think there are certainly, you know, a couple of lenses that I'm looking at this with in terms of just areas of opportunity for going through such a big transition personally and professionally during such a time of transition. So first it changed my management and leadership philosophy at a time when I was really new mm. to paths and therefore pliable in just a totally different way. And I had to build and develop these muscles of flexibility and quick decision-making and building trust in a way I have no doubt is going to serve me really well in the rest of my career. And on the industry front, there was such rapid disruption to all fundraising tactics that it allowed us, or you know, Catherine, maybe the better term is brute forced us to look at everything that we were doing just mm -hmm. in a totally different lens. From the management side, the people management side of things, it really helped shape my philosophy. And from the industry side of things, it's allowed all of us working in this field, just to think about things a little bit differently in, in a way that I don't think we would have had just the world proceeded as it normally was. We wouldn't have quote unquote had to, right? Right. Can you share some examples of how you've changed your leadership, 
your views on leadership and management? I think the world of work is forever changed. I'm certainly not, this is not a unique idea I'm expressing. I think we're all living through that right now. And our executive team in New England went through this exercise of developing what we call team operating principles for our team. And one of our principles on our team is we are human beings first, CCS consultants second. And by the way, I think the sub bullet of that is our clients are also humans first. And I think a little bit of empathy can go a long way in building those relationships. So that line between personal and professional is just getting blurrier and blurrier with each mm-hmm. passing. And I think companies that recognize and respond to that are going to be more competitive and retain better talent. And just one final anecdote on that front, Catherine, as our team grows and as I'm doing more interviews to bring new folks onto our team, you know, certainly I'm still getting questions and negotiation around salary, of course, that is always going to be something that we talk about. But more and more, actually, I'm finding that people are leading with questions around flexibility, mm-hmm. culture, firm culture. And I think that's a really notable shift. People are being really choosy right now about their next career moves because I think the pandemic and all the related changes that came with us with it forced us to think about our personal situations, our professional trajectories in a different way. And do you find that you're equipped to meet those needs on the other side or do you, or do you see that as a barrier? I think so. You know, I, I think the ability of us to exercise, again, those muscles I mentioned earlier around you know, flexibility and quick decision-making and building trust, all those things that we were doing so rapidly at the onset of the pandemic. Again, I think that moment in time has shaped certainly my leadership style, I think, for good. Forever. Mm-hmm. And when I think about working with clients in particular, I think it's also allowed us just to be a little bit more creative. Like on the topic of philanthropy and fundraising, I mean, pick your subtopic of things that are rapidly changing, probably for good right now. Mm-hmm. So practically, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, CCS, when we were doing all the webinars and all the gatherings and virtual convenings that everyone was doing. We were saying to each other and all of our clients that fundraising is a contact sport. And here we were, unceremoniously, all the contact had been ripped away. Right. All the forms of contact, at least. So mm-hmm. we've had to adapt. And by the way, you know, we're not done adapting. There are really big decisions for all of us to be made. It's not just about how I'm going to manage my team or create a welcoming culture within our office, but also how do we help our clients make decisions about their staff, their fundraising operations, how they help donors connect with their work, how they manage volunteers if they return back to their big events. I mean, the questions just go on and on just as we're doing the day-to-day blocking and tackling of good fundraising work and trying to develop new relationships or keep relationships solid that we had before the world turned upside down. Now, again, Pick your subtopic, right? The massive generational transfer of wealth, um, the changing discussion around the power dynamics between funders and nonprofits and the role nonprofits should play in society. You know, philanthropy has always been a very local construct. And I think it's still true that people give where they live, but mm-hmm. with emerging markets, digital currency, we were just having a big conversation at CCS about this the other day. The flow of money and assets is more global in scale every day. Mm-hmm. So these 
big hairy issues that we're trying to tackle as we're all adapting to a new personal and professional way of existing and working. It's an amazing time. It's really one of the things that you were charged with in coming into this new role was taking the New England office to the next level. And you had used the term New England 2.0. And I think all of us would just be so curious to hear like high level thoughts on what that means for your team and for CCS. So we started using this phrase New England 2.0 as a bit of a- I like it. Yeah, I like it too. It's stuck. It started as a bit of a tongue in cheek way to talk about the transition between Brian Evans, who founded the New England office 20 years ago and led it extraordinarily well for that entire duration of time, and me coming in as a new leader uh, from a different office. And it just, like I said, just kind of stuck. But I do think it has been a helpful framing for us because, first, I think for me, it's just a good reminder that. You know, I'm enormously grateful to inherit something that had great bones right. which to build. Mm-hmm. And that's not to our New England office, obviously. That's the benefit of working at a firm like CCS, where you have the entire force of a 75-year-old firm and all of its amazing talent that you can leverage to develop and grow something. So the transition, it's an upgrade from 1.0 to 2.0, in which we can keep all the features that were working really well for us historically and adapt things that are going to help us serve our nonprofit partners and build a team in this rapidly changing world that you and I just had a little bit of conversation about. So it's an exciting way, I think, to think about business. And in my more esoteric moments, I find myself thinking about, okay, when will we be ready to think about New England 3.0? Talking about it in this transparent way, at first I thought, oh, you know, would employees who have been there for a while be offended by this idea of 2.0? But in fact, it's a very transparent way of just saying openly, like we're growing and we're improving and we're advancing. And I think there's something psychological about that, that it sounds like you said it caught on, you know, people, people get it. Yeah. And I think that's a really healthy perspective to maintain. I think that's spot on, Catherine. You know, it's whether you're the team leader or the CEO or someone who's a strong individual contributor, maintaining that perspective of this isn't going to be mine forever. This is something that I want to leave a little bit better that I found it. Mm -hmm. Those type of people... First of all, I think they abound at CCS, which is such a great part of our internal firm culture. But those type of people are really fun to work with. So you were tapped to take this on, but then it wasn't just as though previous person left. You were brought on in a very thoughtful way Mm -hmm. that I think is relatively unusual. Yeah, I, I think it's it was great succession planning and great planning on the part of CCS. And I think a few things have really helped that transition. You know, first, this mentality that we were talking about, returning to just our last conversation we were having, that first of all, I knew I was coming into something that was already really great upon Mm -hmm. which, which such a privilege, just a really exciting opportunity in a different way. And then again, remembering that mentality that this isn't like mine forever. You know, this is something that I am, you know, caretaking and growing for the moment and preparing the team for whatever New England 3.0, 4.0, 5.0 
CCS 3.0, 4.0, 5.0 looks like. And so I, I think that's really helped me put the job, the transition, alts associated, you know, ups and downs in perspective. This would not have been even remotely possible without the existing executive team in New England really all having to step up in new and different ways in their own leadership. Hmm. And I from them tremendously. The learning curve is steep. And we actually, we just had our 2022 planning meeting yesterday with that group. And I think we're all exiting what has been year two of the transition with this agreement that this hasn't been just a professional growth opportunity for one person. I think we've all really leveled up. And year three of the transition, that is only going to continue to expand. So welcoming new leadership can be really scary. It can, as you were mentioning before, pull up some feelings of nervousness or fear. (laughs) This mean, but I would say for those people who are in the boat of welcoming a successor or helping to support that transition, looking at, at it as an opportunity for your own career as well, because the new leader likely is needing you in a way that they can't possibly articulate. I know I could not articulate it coming in, in the way that I can now with the benefit of hindsight. So it has to go both ways. Absolutely. Yeah. And how did you prime that pump or how did you build trust early on to, to create that environment? I'm really proud of the fact, again, knowing that we had, we weren't starting from standing. You know, the team already had a good trajectory upon which mm-hmm. to build. I think I'm proud of the fact that we've been able to build the New England 2.0 culture organically and authentically during a really, really tough time. But I think it's important for me to say that although I believe in organically growing culture, I don't believe in accidentally mm-hmm. allowing to grow. So we've given a lot of focus to this actually over the past two years. And just so a couple of examples for what I mean by lending focus to that culture building and letting it happen organically, but not accidentally. Right. First, we have on our team, two senior members who are formally charged with team culture work. So they've developed a full slate of work for our whole team around what we're calling authentic leadership. We have a consistent monthly focus on this in our team meetings and it's now formally incorporated into our onboarding process for new hires again it's one of those things that's organically grown to infiltrate all parts of our business from how we onboard projects to how we work with each other and teams to how we give feedback to each other in ways that i couldn't have charted out in a gantt chart at the beginning titled it team culture work but having real intentional leadership and focus on that has really been important. And I think that would be the second point is we don't talk about this work as extracurricular or fluffy fun work. It's not something that we do in a team meeting once a year and kind of abandon and go back to the way we were doing things. And in fact, I would argue for most people, this type of work is actually super hard. It certainly is for me, you know, being vulnerable at work, being able to talk about what your own unique strengths are, bringing them to the team, especially in a virtual environment, perhaps you have a in person, it's harder than it's ever been. So I think you mentioned earlier, Catherine, our business is so relational, Yeah, reliant on building trust that my posture around it is 
this cannot be something that's done on the margins. It's something that is as important as looking at our sales goal or charting how well our campaigns are doing against their particular goals or attending the weekly client meeting. You know, this is something because we have to know how to leverage each other's strengths differently. It's really, it makes our work product better in the long term. So it's worth investing in. So this authentic leadership work, is this something that you brought in with 2.0 or was that already happening? We invested in a professional to get us started and to really give some focus to the work to make sure that we were off on the right track because how things start is how they end. And then we were able to build upon that. Wait, do you really think that's true? Yeah, absolutely. The start of, a, of any project, any transition, anything new you're doing, if you start it well, if you invest in the work up front, there's a compounding effect. And I have this philosophy about a lot of things in life, generally, not just work, you know, personal relationships, friendships, my marriage, you know, really focusing mm-hmm. up front on things, having conversations early on, and then empowering people to build upon it. I think is really, it's been an important part of our success in this area, I think. So your team now, I know you're growing it, but what's the size? So we're at about 26 right now. I'm a new leader. I'm also a relatively young leader. I'm trying to remind myself that it's really tough that this is a marathon in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Good work every single way. So it could feel like a bunch of successive sprints all the time. Um, but in terms of the long-term growth of this office, I think being really intentional now that we're out of emergency mode, panic mode, you know, chaos mode from the pandemic, I think that was why I was so encouraged about the conversation yesterday we were having about 2022. Yeah. So if we were really able to step back and say, okay, what does the next year look like? The next three years, the next five years, what are decisions we can make now? Because we don't know what five years from now is going to look like, but what kind of team, what kind of culture? do we want to have and let the growth chart out from there? You've said it yourself. You're a young leader. You're a new leader. You're a first time female leader succeeding a 20 year stretch with a man at the helm. Why do you think you were given this chance? What do you think? (laughs) I know that might be an awkward question to answer, but I think we're all wondering what did Rick happy see in you and others and how can listeners Think about that as they position themselves looking forward into a career. And also on the other side, you know, looking to identify fresh talent. Oh, yeah. I love that question. At the beginning of this transition, I think I alluded to this earlier when you asked what my immediate feeling was. I expended Mm -hmm. way too many brain calories (laughs) of why I had been given this opportunity. It's just like, I look back at how much time I just wasted around that. And I'm trying to move away from my personal use of the term imposter syndrome, because I think we can mm-hmm. become a bit cavalier about that phrase as an explainer. And it's letting us off the hook a little bit about thinking about why certain people or groups feel like imposters in leadership roles. But there was that real sense of anxiety that so many of us are familiar with when we're asked to take on a stretch assignment or a new role. Like, This idea that someday I was just going to report to work or my dining room table as it was for the majority of the past two years. And someone was just going to be there saying, you know, whoops, we made a huge mistake. You're sorry for the inconvenience. (laughs) 
I need to take your leave. And that's totally irrational. And it could be really, really crippling. Yeah. And I actually just this sea change conversation with actually a board chair at a client last fall, someone who I really greatly admire as a professional, as a philanthropist, as a leader. And we got to know each other, obviously, as client and consultant, but also just more personally. And he was sharing with me at that time a piece of advice he had offered to another mentee of his, another female executive stepping into a big new you know, stretch role for her. And she had approached him with this feeling of inadequacy or like she didn't belong or she wasn't quite sure she was the right choice. And his framing, which was very kind, but very direct was, look, the boat's in the water. You don't need to keep proving to everyone that you're in charge. You're already the leader, so you need to make the best of it. And that was, I still remember exactly where I was when I had that conversation. It was game changing for me. And you know, from that moment, whenever I find myself drifting back to being overly focused on this posturing of, you know, I'm the leader, you know, listen to me, rather than just taking steps to actually lead or to do the thing, you can probably find me like, in my office or in a corner muttering, you know, the boat's in the water, the boat's in the water. Come <laughs> a bit of a mantra for me, which sounds silly, but it's really, it's really, really been important. And then in terms of how others can position themselves effectively or yeah. second half of your question. You know, I think I have two, maybe two or three high level thoughts on that. And first, I do think it's important to let your sponsors, your mentors, your coaches, your direct supervisors, you know, whoever's kind of in your professional kitchen cabinet or in your professional corner, let them know that you're interested in growth. And you know, all of us have a preference, obviously, for certain strengths that are colored by our own background, our own set of experiences, our own preferences. And I think there's more awareness at this. Certainly at CCS, we're doing a lot of work around how do we com- combat, excuse me, this kind of sense of implicit bias, but people still make assumptions about others they're working with. They make assumptions about what people are and aren't willing to do for growth, you know, move across the country, for instance. Yeah. And I remember having a conversation, specifically a conversation I had with Rick five, six years ago at this point in a review in which I expressed a specific desire to say it's CCS, said, I love this job. I want to grow. And although I loved California, I said specifically, I'd be open to other geographies, other opportunities to grow more quickly. And everyone's circumstances are different, but I think the takeaway here maybe is don't passively allow assumptions to be made about you and what you're excited to do or not excited to do. You know, find those sponsors, mentors, coaches, supervisors you trust and let your, let your ambitions be known. With the final caveat of, you know, of course, you have to do great work. And anyone who knows me knows my mantra is tactical excellence leads to strategic credibility. And, you know, Ooh. we all make mistakes, but it's hard to trust or take advice from someone who, you know, consistently forgets to send the memo or sends you a report full of math errors or whatever it is. But once you have strategic credibility, once you have trust, with your boss, your client, the conversations about growth and your personal path, they just become much, much different, I think. Sarah, what do you know for sure? 
not other than your much. motto, which you just shared with yeah. us that I love. Yeah, yeah, not very, not very much. If the conversation that we just had demonstrates anything, and maybe that's the answer. I think the longer I do this work, so whether you define that as being in the space of philanthropy or just managing a team of human beings, the more complex it gets for mm-hmm. me. So what keeps it interesting, I think. So I guess the one thing I know for sure is I need to be comfortable not knowing things for sure. And that's certainly what the past you know, 18, 20 months have taught all of us. Well, thank you so much for joining us and sharing a little bit about the CCS world and the New England office. I know we have lots of listeners in New England, so I hope they enjoy this. And yeah, good luck. And we'll have to keep in touch. Thanks, Catherine. Yeah, if any of your New England listeners want to stop by the Boston office or have a cup of coffee, those of you who live in Boston know the South Station Tate location. Ooh, I love Tate. Fine. So anytime you're in the neighborhood, happy to to grab a signature Tate latte and. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, I used to have Boston as my region when I was at Columbia, and I was sure to go to Tate every time. So nice, nice. Thanks. Thanks. Sarah invites us to find sponsors. People who will say our name in a room of opportunities. I saw that quote somewhere on Instagram. Someone who will say your name in a room of opportunities. And it really stuck with me. I was also struck by Sarah's comment about process. She said how things start is how they end. So taking the time in the beginning to get buy-in and connect with colleagues is really important when thinking about culture and leadership. Thank you for joining us today and we will see you next week. Have a great day.